0: Say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what Hello everyone, and welcome be. to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo, and I am telling you, as I always do, it's going to be another great show. And it is. Uh, okay, listen, here's the deal, folks. You know, listen, we when we got into the pandemic, right? Was, some of us were working, you know, with Zoom a little bit, a little bit. But then when we got into the pandemic. Oh, life changed for most of us, right? We, we, and 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 has continued to that we're working more remotely, we're we're or we're hybrid. But as you know, I find out from one of the co-authors who's not joining us, Allie Green, she says, you know what? If one person one person is remote, you're remote. <laughs> well, it's true. But you know what? We are doing more remote meetings. I mean, even when I do my coaching, my coaching is remote. You know, that's the truth. And, and you know what, there is a way to do it right and then there's a way that we do it and we think we're doing it right and it's not really doing it right and it's not really, really working. So, how do we make remote work really work? Well, I have one of the co-authors. Oh, she's awesome. Awesome. Tam Sanderson's with us. Uh, she co-wrote this book, Remote Works, Managing for Freedom, Flexibility and Focus. And I love this little side title here. Uh, Beat Meeting Fatigue, Reinvent the Nine to Five. Have fun. Oh, and that's what this show is about, too, right? So we like to learn and have fun. By the way, the Ford is written by Matt Mullenweg, who's co-founder of WordPress and CEO of Automatic. Um, and we're going to talk through how to make remote work know what works for you. But before we get to her, let's do what we do every week and that is I walk you through the four areas of your life, right? Listen, we're four-part people. We're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. And the truth of the matter is if we're not daily working on ourselves in all four of those areas, well, we don't ever stay static And, and because if we're not growing, we're dying. I mean, I I know that sounds like a blunt way of saying it, but the truth is we got to be constantly at work at ourselves, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So what we do on the show is if you've just joined us, and by the way, everybody on DBTV all over the world, thanks for watching us. Those who are listening live, Tyler, thanks for joining us. I saw the air horns and uh, you you know, Allie Green knows what's up. So Tyler, thanks for joining us as well. But if you are listening to us by uh, podcast or wherever you're listening or watching, um, thanks for doing that live. And, and, um. You know, on Memorex, it's an old term, but you'll you'll work with it. So, here's how it works. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, evaluate yourself, 5 being average, in each one of these areas. And here's what I mean. Physically, if you could evaluate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, like eating right, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, getting exercise, what number would you give yourself? 1 being is awful, 10 being is it's fantastic. Now, look, no matter what your number is, that really isn't what matters because that's a starting place for you to jump next. Right? So if you're a 2, you're a 2. okay? It's not, it's not bad. That's where you're going to start because you're going to try to get to a 2.5. Because I promise you there's something you can do right now in each one of these areas, regardless of your number, that you can change that can get you to that next level. And that's what's important. That's where you find your new direction. Right? So that's your first number. The second number is the mental intellectual number. Right. Sometimes we like to be couch potatoes and think that somehow we just naturally just absorb information. That's not the way it really works. We have to be an active participant in our learning and our growth and our understanding and our knowledge. We have to we have to do those things in order to get us to grow in our mental side of areas. So on a scale of one to ten, how would you say you're doing growing mentally in your knowledge, whether it's your work, your life, whatever it is. You know a great way to do that, right? Because we're right brain, left brain. One right side's creative, left side's logical. A great way to do this is read a book. It's a great way to do it. Read a book. This is a great book to read. It's going to exercise both halves of your brain and it's going to massage the inside of your brain too because I could tell you your limbic system is going to be affected at some level, okay? I promise you that. All right, so that's your second number. Third number is the emotional number. Daniel Goleman has written tons of stuff on emotional intelligence, by the way, which is absolutely required if you're going to make remote work works, okay? If you're going to make remote work work, you're going to have to have some emotional intelligence here, all right? What do we mean by that? Well, here's, here's two ways to evaluate it. First is, how would you say you're doing handling your emotions under stress and pressure? And then secondly, how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people? That requires some active listening skills. And also to develop your emotional vocabulary. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you give yourself on your emotional level? All right, and then finally the spiritual. And you know what? The truth of the matter is we're all spiritual. I know that people kind of go, no, I'm not a spiritual person. No, you are. We all live by faith. Truth of the matter is if you had a cup of coffee or if you're drinking a sip of water right now in your car or wherever you're watching or listening to this thing, right? you believe that it's not poisonous. Right? You put your key in the car, you turn it over, you believe the car is gonna start. It's faith. You see the sign that says walk, you believe by faith that if you walk across the crosswalk with the sign that says walk, that nobody's gonna hit you with a car. That's faith. Pretty big faith, depending on the city that you live in. Right? But the truth of the matter is there's a spirit of who we are inside of us. What are you doing to nourish that spirit? Right? And in the midst of chaos, what brings you peace and joy in the midst of all that chaos? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it is it meditation? Is it something else? And then you have to ask yourself the question, is it working? So what number would you give yourself in your spiritual area? Now, those four areas are like the air and the tires of your car. If one tire is low, what happens to your car? It veers. It doesn't run right. And in over time, it can be damaged. And if all four tires are low, well, you not only ruin the tires, you ruin the car. Well, speaking of someone who's got all her tires right at the right height, Her name is Tam Sanderson. She is the co-founder of Remote Works, an organizational design and consulting firm uh, with a mission to liberate teams from the nine to five and teach them to do their best work anytime, anywhere. Tam was a remote worker before she knew it even had a name. She began her career as a management consultant at Oliver Wyman and as a private equity analyst at Audax Group. Later, she cut her teeth on tech and design at Google and Automatic, which we know as WordPress and of course, IDO. Uh, call her an idealist, but she truly believes that remote work can change the opportunity equation for people when they are able to fully embrace one another's autonomy, dignity, and ingenuity. And I agree with her. Tam lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts, always looking for a co-working buddy. She can be found at TamraSanderson.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A-S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. Welcome to the first time ever to a new direction. Tam Sanderson, welcome, Tam.
1: Thanks. Um, great to be here, Coach Jay. And I do have a question. Can sure. you hear any background noise? Oh, Usually well, I live in a really yeah. quiet environment, but there has been some honking. So, if it's too loud, let me know, and I can close my windows. Or if not, we can continue. Okay.
0: No. 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 So we heard somebody's car alarm go off for a second there. <laughs> but that's okay but we'll work with it um okay so let's dig right into the book okay because there's something that comes right out at the very very beginning of the book and uh in the preface and you both say something that just stopped me in my tracks and I had to write it down and is when we read this book we need to do one thing and you say drop your remote work baggage at the door (laughs) <laughs> and, and so I feel like, okay, well, what is our remote work baggage that we have? And what should we be leaving at the door?
1: Yeah, so we started with that because um, I was a very passionate remote advocate before the pandemic, and people were like, oh, that's cool. That's so niche. Is it a real company you work for? Why are you traveling, etc." So there was just a lot of questions, but people had kind of uh, compartmentalized me into a very different category. And the pandemic happens it's a huge remote work prototype we have about 60 percent of the workforce that's trying it out and so there is a lot of baggage because pe- most of the people that have tried remote for the very first time uh was during a very traumatic moment there was no preparation there's a lot of zoom fatigue people were worried about getting sick and yeah. their families were getting sick and everything was closed down so people are coming in So remote work no longer is niche it's not just uh, located towards like digital nomads, it comes with a lot of memory and baggage for people. And so we just wanted to clear the slate, say, hey, we get it. And there's other ways to do it. Because I just know when I would tell people I'm writing a book about remote work, I could tell people's eyes would kind of like glaze over a little bit and they'd be like, oh, okay. Um, and so we just wanted to start with kind of a fresh fresh step and a, you know, a fresh way to think about remote work.
0: Well, I, I, I personally am a fan. Right, I, I did that in the opening. I'm a, I'm a big fan of remote work because it's changed my, it helped change my career and and in a lot of ways. And even doing the show, we're doing this remotely. So, uh, you know, this has been a, I think it's fantastic. I love it. But I do understand that there can be some things. We'll get into those a little bit later. Uh, I want to jump into the introduction, and you talk about seeing yourself as a remote manager, and I found this to be really intriguing. Because I think we do remote, but we don't see ourselves as a manager. But the whole focus of this book is you as a manager. Help us understand how we need to get there or how we need to think about this in terms of ourselves as a remote manager.
1: Yeah, so essentially there's been a change in the equation with remote work. You are giving the employee a lot more autonomy. And what that means, they get to make more decisions. They make more decisions about how they work, what time they're working, how they're getting their work done, how they're managing things. They're not necessarily always under the you know purview of a physical manager. And so when you give people autonomy, it means that you're also requiring them to project manage their own workflow. So we basically say in our book that essentially everybody's becoming a manager at least over their individual workflow when they're a remote worker, and you still have traditional managers as well.
0: So one of the things you've got these you got three non-negotiables in order for us to make remote work actually work and here's the three that you gave us managers must lead with intentionality managers must build trust and managers must respect employee's autonomy so talk us through intentionality building trust and autonomy and why those are seem to be the three building blocks that we need to start with
1: Yeah so I think a lot of this comes through the fact that no longer are you managing by seeing. So it used to be a world that we, it's kind of like a field of dreams. Like if you—if people come, if you build it, things will happen, right? And so you didn't have to be really that intentional. Your trust was based on seeing people. You could tell people at any moment what you wanted them to do. You could be like, hey, I need this ASAP. You could touch somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, turn around, help me out. Um, do you, I'm gonna close my windows. There are tree cutters outside now, so it's, it's a little bit louder. continue talking, I, coach. But i usually my neighborhood is not that loud. I live in a cute little kind of you know quaint um, Cambridge town. But yeah, they're actually cutting trees. No, no That's worries,
0: why no worries. Yeah. So as we're as as she's closing her window, we'll keep talking about uh, the three building blocks that you're going to need: intentionality, trust, and autonomy. As you manage, and we're all managers, is what uh, both. Uh, uh, Tim and Allie talked to us about is that, uh, whenever we do remote, we, we are really managing not only ourselves, we're also managing, uh, each other and other people. And so everything that we do has to be more intentional. Everything that we have to do has to be work on building trust with each other. Because what we know is that when we're not building trust with each other, uh, and, and it's more, and it is a little bit of a, it is a little bit more difficult to build trust in a remote setting than it is to build in a face-to-face setting because we get so many other non-verbal cues that we don't necessarily get. So tr- building trust is important, and as she says, you know what, you know, we got to respect employees' autonomy. The whole reason that we work remote is because we want to be autonomous. So, you know, those three things, intentionality, building trust, and and respecting employees' autonomy are absolutely huge. So let's go into. The chapter one together, um, the remote state of mind, and I want to do New York state of mind, no offense to anybody in Boston, um, for sure, uh, because I kept thinking about the Billy Joel song, which is one of my favorite songs. <laughs> um, so, so, how to get you into remote state of mind, you use a generalistic framework, the five W's and the H, um, who, what, when, where, and why, and then how. So what are we trying to do, to try and getting us into the remote state of mind with the who, what, when, where, why, and how?
1: Yeah, uh, well, first of all, thanks for taking over and giving the definition of kind of the trust, intentionality and autonomy. Um, there is actually a fight outside right now between like multiple people in the street. So <laughs> that is what's going on right now live. Um, but what we really were thinking about with the remote state of mind, we said, hey, drop your remote work baggage. Mm-hmm. But when you do, you're going to have to start coming up with new conceptions of what can remote work be. And so essentially, like remote work fluency or state of mind requires two things. One is the capacity to use the technology to work remotely. So can you work on a computer? Can you use Zoom? Can you have those functional technical skills, which most people today do. My parents go on Zoom and talk to me because they live in Texas and I live in Massachusetts. Um, My mom is 75, so she has technically remote working skills, right? And so a lot of people have that what they didn't necessarily have was this remote state of mind and this basically questioning assumptions of like, why are things done that way? Right. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And so that's why we really wanted to set up the very first chapter of saying, what are you going to get out of remote work? Cause once you have your reasoning of like why you want to make this work, then you're going to put a lot more effort and intentionality into creating a really nice work life balance or work life, um, Designed for for you to get your work done, and so you know when you're thinking about who, like when you're working remotely, you can work with people all over the place. So, you know we're not co-located right now, but we're able to chat. So that's an example. But I could go to a cafe. I met a old coworker this morning for coffee, and so that's an example of a who that I got to meet up with in person, and that might be different. Um, the what you do, the where you work, the how you work, all of those things. When you start thinking about what has remote work opened up for you, you can start, um, harnessing, you know, what makes remote work special for you.
0: Yeah. I think, I think what happens is, and I, I think this is what you both were getting at is that oftentimes we still try to apply our face to face thinking with remote work. And it, and it, and we do have to make an adjustment in our thinking, in our mindset, when we do when we're when we're doing like remote meetings or we're working you know even in a remote space like you and I are right now there has to be some sort of adjustment cuz even though you and I are both really familiar with this format i can't apply the same techniques i can't i can't i have to think a little bit differently than i do as if you and i were sitting at a coffee shop together and i think that's What's critical is that we've got to put on a different mindset.
1: Yeah, and changing your behavior to fit the new environment. So Mm. the way that we were in meetings a lot in an in-person office, it made sense because we were fitting our behavior into the office setup, right? And so you go into a meeting room, you have a meeting, you go to the coffee pot, you might gossip a little, you go to your workstation, you might send emails. So all of our behavior was cued by the environment now we have a totally different environment but we're, our behavior hasn't really changed so we're using this behavior that might have made sense in an office but when you're not co-located anymore you shouldn't be really managing my meetings all day that's like not the best way to be using technology if anything you have a lot more autonomy and you have a lot more capacity usually to focus at home um, then you should be doing more of that type of behavior and not being on meetings all the time because that's not really super conducive to doing remote work well.
0: Well, and and don't you think, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I have no data to support this, but this is just my anecdotal observation in doing remote meetings. I feel like we're, we, we're a little more casual, which I don't have a problem with, but I feel like in remote meetings we're a little bit more casual than we would be as if we're going into the office for a meeting. Uh, is is that is that fairly accurate?
1: Um, I mean, I think so. I wonder if that ha- again that might have to do with an environment. You're kind of putting right. on a costume when you go into an office, right? You <laughs> you might dress up and you like start using weird business right. jargon. You're like, oh, right. look at me, I'm a professional. I just right. got my coffee on the way to work. And so when you're like taking a call from home, you know, and you might still have your pajama bottoms on, or your right. child might be, have just left the door, like right. you're coming in from a different context. So I do think there is a different level of casualty that can happen on a um, a remote meeting. And I think remote meetings are important. I think it's more the project management that sometimes happens by meetings, that it might not actually be the best way to do that type of task.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about the environment that I'm in right now, and I'm thinking about your environment, right? If if we were in a formalized meeting, right, the the rules are different than the rules are right now. Because, I mean, like, even with you, right, you have a window right next to you and there's things going on outside of you that would not be happening if we were in an office together, right? I I mean, I'm staring at, you know, nine guitars, you know, in, in my, in my space here, right? my, my, my musical space and my studio. And so I'm staring at my guitars. I've got all these things that I'm comfortable with. Right. And so I am more comfortable here, but I wonder if that doesn't actually open us up to more freedom of thought. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I'm glad you brought this up because this comes at me a lot as a question of, oh, we can't be creative anymore. Everybody misses the water cooler. There's uh, no posted notes in these brainstorm meetings. And yes, I believe some of that can happen. I also think it's being a bit glorified and there's some nostalgia behind it. Yes. Because I don't remember going to the office and always having these incredible, creative brainstormy moments. I was like, oh, I'm so inspired by being in this office. <laughs> so what I really recommend is like use what you have with remote work. So I, I actually, You can't see right now because I am um, doing a Marie Kondo of my entire apartment. But I actually am in an art studio. So as you mentioned, you're in your guitars. But I have an easel over here. I have all my paints and um, stuff there. And then I have uh, my apartment looks a lot like a a bookstore slash library. So all my books are that way. But I actually like purposely designed my apartment, especially during the pandemic where I went from being a digital nomad traveling everywhere, like just like lived out of a suitcase to being very much planted here in Cambridge. And I find my space really inspiring now. So if I were to come up with some ideas, somebody was like, hey, we're going to change the branding. We want you to do some research on it. I would probably look around my space and be like, oh, here's some like very cool art books I have. Or maybe I'm to look at the like colors of the spices that are in my spice rack. Or I can look at a thing of paints or Go on a walk. There's a lot of beautiful flowers and people that have lovely gardens near me. Right. I don't have a garden right now, but they have done a beautiful work. So I could take pictures of other people's flowers and all of their beautiful work. Um, but I really think you should use your environment mm-hmm. as much as you can and not say it's completely a limitation. Because sometimes we pretend because we're remote working, our environment is just the internet. It's just this computer that's you know 13, 15 inches wide. Right. But instead, like you should be using. The environment around you. There's no reason you can't go to a coffee shop or work or go to the library or say, hey, this summer I'm going to spend a month and, you know, rent a cabin with several friends. Like, there's no reason you can't do that. You can switch your location. You can switch your stimuli. Uh, remote work, again, I think this is some of the, pa- like, baggage that comes from the pandemic as we think of remote work as no kids are in school, everything's crazy, the news is going wild and I haven't left my apartment or talked to anybody else in two months. Like that's kind of what we think of and people were like, you know, cooped up, going kind of nutty. And I think it's important to remember that that's kind of like why we ask people to ask questions. That's how you get a remote state of mind. Like, why am I working like this? And if you ask why enough, you're going to start either coming up with reasons or changing your behavior.
0: I love it. Her name is Tam Sanderson, uh, co-author of the book Remote Works, Managing for Freedom, Flexibility and Focus. It's awesome. You're listening to her here on A New Direction. Hey folks, Epic Physical Therapy, been using them forever even when they first started and even before. Listen, they help people whether you've got an injury, surgery, suffering everyday aches and pains, maybe you're just having difficulty performing activities, maybe you're a professional athlete because they work with all sorts of professional athletes. Listen, they're going to design a treatment program that's specifically designed for you. So, when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, your epic results, don't look any further. Look at Epic Physical Therapy. That's epicpt.com. That's E P I C P T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors for more than 38 years. They have been helping people transition in life. You said, well, I thought they were a real estate company. They are, but think about it. Every place you've ever lived has been a life transition. And they understand that it can be stressful understand that there's going to be a lot of moving parts and they want to reduce that stress and help take care of the things that you don't have to take care of to make your transition smooth. So when you're ready to make your next life transition, whether that's selling your home or buying one, start with Linda Craft Team Realtors. That's lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction and uh, with Tam Sanderson in her book that she co-wrote, Remote Works. Um, and and we're just getting into it. So uh, uh, TM chapter two, manage manager archetypes. And one of the things that you talk about is know thyself. And you ask a question, what do you want? And you talk about you you will need to reflect on your own needs, wants, and desires before being fully present with your team as a manager. Help us navigate that a little bit more and give us more clarity.
1: Yeah, so I actually think the questions that you started off with are a really good starting place for understanding like, who are you, what do you want, what do you need? So like examining your health, your mental, your spiritual, your emotional, getting kind of your baseline, that actually is a really good method of doing this. I think the reason we say this is rather than when you're in a traditional office, there is more of a cookie-cutter way to work, right? And so you can observe the behavior of people around you, but people kind of dress similar, and they talk similar, and you're all kind of going through very similar motions, right? So it's kind of laid out for you. And then I think with remote work, kind of a lot of that goes away. And you're now having to make a lot more decisions yourself. And so with autonomy comes more power. But with that, you need to start like better understanding, did I actually like working that way? Was that actually really? best way for me to work? Like, am I a morning person? Am I an evening person? Do I love being in meetings? Do I hate being in meetings? Where do I focus best? How? What's the best way to rearrange my schedule? And so you start asking yourself those questions. The more you can understand how you like to work, the more you can be intentional and transparent with others and say, hey, you're not seeing me work every day, so you can't, like, visually pick up on all of my quirks and things of that sort. But I've done my own personal research, and I can kind of share with you, like, um, I like this, I don't like this, uh, I prefer getting feedback this way, this is my preferred management style, this is my preferred um, way of scheduling my day. And by being able to be really transparent, you can help people work better together versus making assumptions on how other people would like to work.
0: And you you, you, you both go through these four archetypes. And I'd like to just roll through them because I found them fascinating to me, Uh you have two axes: You have team-focused versus organizational-focused. And then you have hands-on involvement and then hands-off involvement. And so I'm going to kind of run through these uh, a little bit. Um, and 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 I'm going to kind of give you the, 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 the type. And then I'm going to help you kind of help us understand it. The first type is called the band leader archetype. And the band leader archetype, just for people to understand on this grid... Uh, is hands-off involvement um, and also team-focused. So help us understand, because you call them something special, they've got charisma, but help us understand the band leader archetype in managing remote work.
1: Yeah, so we think of the band leader almost as a jazz musician. So I think, Coach Jay, we're going to go through a little bit of, we used music archetypes when we were coming up with this, Mm -hmm. just to be fun and also to I think it's so useful to have like a metaphor of how you're working together versus trying to explain things completely abstractly. So a band leader would be something that they are team focused which means they're often playing a role on the team. So they have to actually perform. So if you are a band leader, you are usually playing an instrument within kind of the the jazz band together. But you are like um you're you're kind of offhand as and you're not necessarily Telling everybody what to do all the time. People are kind of riffing off of each other. You trust everyone on your kind of band to come in with their instruments they've played before. So you let them do their role and you do your role, but you still have some authority and you are still giving kind of guidance to the team.
0: So, and, and here's what's interesting about these because I, I I think when we when you start talking about these four types, right, band, the band leader, and as we go through the rest of them, composer, et cetera, so forth. One of the things that you do in this book is that you help us understand what it is. You help us understand when it works, right? So, uh, and, and you, I think you're trying to tell us, help me understand this. I think you're trying to tell us at the same time that you need to be able to almost be all four of these at any given time as a manager in your remote work. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So we used archetypes because there might be one you naturally gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. And so that is great to know. And that's like knowing thyself. So you might naturally be a band leader. I think um, sometimes when people call themselves like I'm a servant, servant leader or servant manager, like that's kind of a similar type. Okay. Um, but depending on your team, it really depends. So, you know, the band leader is great for a lot of awesome individual contributors that really know their instrument have been playing for a really long time together. But let's imagine you are given a team, they're all new employees and they all just graduated either high school or undergrad. Okay. Like you're not going to want to give them that level of autonomy. You can't be that hands off with them. You have to be more hands on. You have to be more prescriptive. You're going to have to flex into a different archetype for that group. And yes, over time you can get more autonomy and then maybe you're playing more of your preferred role again like a band leader. But you 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 do want to shift some based on who you're working with and what the team's composition is.
0: So all right, so so the band leader is best working with those people who are really competent, high functioning. All right? So then let's go to the promoter archetype because the promoter archetype right is is um is his hands off but they're more organized focused help us understand that difference
1: yeah so the promoter i think we use the fifth beetle as the promoter and so uh what that would be is they're hands off as in you know beetles are great you know john lennon paul mccartney they've got their thing going like great george harrison people have a crush on him awesome right but he is not particularly team focused. He's like, you guys do you, you're awesome musicians. He is instead promoting it to the outside organization. So he might be getting, you know, signing contracts and being an agent and giving them a really good deal. And you know, um, this is this is where you're going to go on your concerts, or this is this is how we're going to promote your image. These are the photos we want out there. So he's that promoter character. Um, he, she, they is definitely looking at the external world and how can you help these people on your team be in the spotlight and clear their way so that they can do their best work. And so that's kind of the difference. The band leader is actually playing a role and they really care every, like it might be something that's an engineering team and they're still launching code a lot versus if you're on an engineering team and actually you are just focused on talking to somebody up or out from you. So maybe uh, the head director of engineering and you're mostly focused on that or you're focused on working in a cross team format.
0: All right, let's talk about the agent. Um, it's uh, organizational focus, but hands-on involvement. Help us understand the agent managerial. Plan.
1: Yeah, so the agent we used. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Girls Generation. I lived in Singapore for four years, and so it is a K-pop band. Yes,
0: I have. And, yes.
1: Yes, and they're like it's. Um, I, they have really fun music videos, so I would definitely recommend it. But I think people actually they go and audition, and then. I think they actually train for almost five years before they're allowed to go on stage as a part of the band. And so there's this whole talent pipeline and they are perfect. You look at them, they look perfect. They act like their, their moves are all perfect. Everything is completely choreographed. And so that would be a thing where they're organization focused. They are thinking like, how are we going to promote girls generation? Like how, how, like, They manage every single aspect of the contracting, every aspect of who's auditioning, what is the look, what is their costumes, what songs they're gonna sing. So everything is completely organized and they are very, very hands-on. And so that would kind of be your typical micromanager that cares a lot about how your team is perceived. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: to make sure that they're perceived well, they're really into the nitty gritty details. And so that's what I think of the agent. And that is the one that generally does not work as well with remote work. Um, We recommend you may have to flex at times. And so there might be a moment where you're about to do a product launch and things are really hectic and you just really need people to be like on for that moment and you really need to be incredibly prescriptive and that's okay, but that might not be how you're always managing. It might be for a week or two weeks or onboarding a brand new team. And then you're able to flex to something that gives people more of their autonomy back.
0: I love that. See, I I love this because it's not that any one of these are right or wrong. It's just that depending on the situation and the context, you need to adapt to all these things. I, I think that's the beauty of what you've put together here. Because I think sometimes what we do, and, and listen, I'm a psychological professional, I get it. But sometimes what we do is we just make this assumption that, well, this is just the way I am, I can't change. Well, there's, you know, there's no growth in that statement. But there's a lot of growth and there's a lot of, you know, the mindset, the growth mindset is really huge here. Because you have to be able to have a growth mindset that says, I can be the band leader, I can be the promoter, I, I may have to be the agent at times. Right? And I have to be adaptable and agile enough to do that. I think that's the beauty of this of this grid that I found so fascinating, is that we, we sometimes struggle thinking that this is the only play, way I can be successful, and that simply is not true.
1: Yeah, so much is based on not just the individuals, but the connections in the room. And so your team is always changing based on the fact that the individuals are also changing as well as the fact that anytime a new person comes in or a person leaves the entire dynamic of that team is changing and so you want to make sure that you're shifting
0: right
1: and we have like little tips in there and like if you want to you know if you want to move more towards this archetype here's some things to do here are some things not to do and they're they're small behavior things so like how can you be Uh, give people a little bit more freedom and flexibility and not be so kind of like micromanaging on them? Like what are some very like tactical ways that you're able to do that in a remote environment?
0: So let's finish up with the last one. Let's do the composer who is team focused, but hands-on.
1: Yeah. So that would be kind of, I guess, uh, so the, the band leader we mentioned is team focused, so also the composer, the composer is team focused. They're they're really into the music that that group is making. They feel like they are definitely a part of the symphony, uh, but they are a lot more hands on. So when a composer, they I kind of think the of composer often as maybe like a project or a program manager, and so they will come in and they have they're like, okay, we're playing this song. This is, you know, like, this is when the wind instruments come in. Okay, great. Let's go percussion. I, I never took orchestra or band growing up, so that could be completely wrong. I don't have any musical talent, though. I like to listen to it a lot. Um, but, you know, you're coming in with a plan. And if you don't have a plan and you decide to improvise, it's gonna be really crazy. You're not gonna be able to play Beethoven, right? It's gonna sound like a big jumble. And that's why, you know, with with jazz, there's a lot more improvisation and you can play off of each other. You don't have to have that script going in. Where this one, like it allows that composer to have that script. So you might be a product manager and you say, okay, um, for this sprint, these are the deliverables where you need to do this feature, this feature, we need to launch this code on this day. Um, And like, first it goes to this engineer and then this engineer is going to test it. Uh, Make sure you get the designs from the designer beforehand. So there's like a whole process and you have to have those roles come in at certain points. Like you want the design to come in before somebody starts coding it. Right. Or else if you go the other way around, the designer's gonna be like, what is it that you have coded here? This is nothing that the app should have looked like. Right. And so there is a sequence, there's a, there's a rhyme, there's a rhythm to it, but as long as they can play, they like, that's, that's the thing when you're on stage as a composer, you kind of like, I don't know what that thing is, is, you know, when they like kind of point at everybody and they're like, like, do, 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 and then, like, in comes this music, and in comes this music. When you're on stage, you let them play. You're not stopping them in the middle and being like, okay, you know, play, play the instrument a little bit differently. Um, no, you need to do this piano. Uh, instead, you're letting people do their very best work as long as it's in concordance with the plan that you had for your entire team.
0: That's very, very, it's very, very cool. You, you, you both make a comment here at the end of this chapter that I just want people to hear. The most significant shift you'll need to make as a remote leader is self-awareness. Everything stems from self-awareness. It could be helpful if you see your role as a man as a manager as more of a vocation than a job. Why a vocation than a job?
1: Yeah, so I think the role of manager shifts a lot. So first of all, individuals end up having to do more of their own project and process management, but then that those roles and responsibilities kind of decrease from the manager and instead they're playing more of a coaching or a knowledge sharing role. And so when I think of vocational, I think of somebody that's really trying to build the capacities across their team and really wanting the output to be better. And so you can think of it as like, how am I, how am I like, first of all, learning how to be a, you know, a grow how to be like a better manager. How am I learning to read different, you know, EQ and IQ symbols? And like, how am I, how am I becoming more self-aware? How am I becoming more mindful of both my behaviors and also how I'm impacting others? And also, like, we spend so much of our lives at work. I think after sleep is the number two category. And when they add up all of the hours that you'll spend working, sometimes people don't think this is a lot of time, but uh, it's 13 years and two hours of your time if you like worked consecutively throughout your life and just put that into context you will spend less less than you spend about like 300 or 350 days with your partner and also maybe about that much with your friends and so you're working like 13 times more than you'll ever spend with your partner and so I think that is pretty nuts and so what I think of vocation is if there are ways that you can really help people. Find like what they're really good at, how you can find people to do inspiring work, how you can help them um, manage anxiety or stress. Like the way if, if you can do those things, your role as a manager, it becomes a lot more than just about the work.
0: That's awesome. Her name is Tam Sanderson, uh, co-author with Allie Green. The book is called Remote Works, Managing for Freedom, Flexibility and Focus. You're listening to her here on a new direction. Hey folks, Epic Physical Therapy. Listen, I love them. I really do. I really love what they do. They they have the most cutting edge equipment available, things like the alter G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, my favorite the game ready. That's just a few. They're certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments, blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping. That's just a few. When you're ready for your epic relief, epic recovery, epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's e-p-i-c. PT.com and Linda Craft Team Realtors listen for more than 38 years helping people transition. Uh, her original clients from 1985 still come and see her today. Uh, listen, they call her the legend of customer service. And that's the reason why people from 1985 are still returning back and why people come to her today all over the world so they can help understand what they need to do for their transition, whether it's selling or buying a home. When you're ready to do that, No matter where you live, start at Linda Craft Team Realtors. It's lindacraft.com. It's l-i-n-d-a-c-r-a-f-t.com. Click on over. You'll, You'll be so glad that you did. And we're back here on A New Direction with my friend, Tam Sanderson. I can call you friend, can't I? Can I call you friend?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Okay. You Uh,
1: just, you spent a whole, I mean, you spent multiple hours with my book, so you spent a lot more time with me than I have
0: with you. I have spent a lot of time with you. I have, I have really spent a lot. And then there, then there's the bio research, right? Because I have to do my own, I have to do the bio research of who you are and everything. It's like, wow, cool kind of this nomad that's gone all over the world and 70 countries and has done all these things. It's really, really cool. I mean, you you have a really cool, you you know, you've had a really cool, I mean, and you're young and you've had this really cool life um, to this point, you know, and I'm like, wow, you've done so much in such little time, you know, I mean, and you seem to love it.
1: Yeah, well thanks you. Yeah, you've done your research. I had um I'm very like stationary at the moment, which I was telling a friend this morning because I had encouraged him 4 years ago to be a digital nomad and he's still on the road. And I was like, I own a ton of books now. I was like, I, like I've like, been here for four years and I'm like continuing on. And so it was funny to see how it switched. But yes, I, was, uh, I chose almost all of my jobs based on the capacity to travel and see the world. And that was really important to me after I studied abroad. When I studied abroad when I was 20, it really kind of shifted how I thought about the world. And I was like, I got to do a lot more of this wow. if I'm allowed, if I can make it happen. Right.
0: Yeah, it's very very cool. You have a great story, so and it's a great book for sure. Um, there's a lot of myths when it comes to remote work. Chapter three is managing is entitled Managing Report, Remote Employee, but you both go into dispelling some common myths, right? So I'm just going to throw some of these out, and then I just want you to dispel it for me. Can you do that? You still there?
1: Yep, okay. I'm still there. I'm just muting so you don't. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, really? Okay. They don't cut too many of our trees. <laughs> so trees
0: friends,
1: they like love the trees, and there's so many birds outside. So I'm like, I, I, I wish somebody would have told me about this. Right. Anyways, no, I am ready to bust some myths.
0: All right, here we go. It's hard to know when remote employees are being productive.
1: Yeah, um, I think it is hard to know if remote employees are being productive if your only way of seeing people are productive is by visibly seeing them. But that usually means that you have not intentionally set, like, what are their roles? What are their responsibilities? What are the deliverables? And so you need a better proxy for productivity than just seeing somebody at a desk.
0: But it can be done. That's the point. Right? I mean, ultimately...
1: Yeah, definitely. It actually... I often use the uh, metaphor of, a, of school. So I went to a very large high school in Plano, Texas. And we went class to class to class. And then uh, we all had to go off campus actually for lunch because there was not enough room in our cafeteria. And I would go to basketball practice. And then from there, I would, I don't know, go home, do my homework. It was very, very structured. I had to be there 40 if not more hours a week because of sports. Somebody was watching me. I had to be in attendance. I needed a hall pass to go to the bathroom, right? And so I had five minutes to switch between classes. I had to put stuff in a locker, right? So it's very, very, very regulated. That's how I think, I think it's really weird that we regressed in the working world to actually be very similar to that. You go from you know, meeting to meeting to meeting, uh, you, do, you do your little song and dance and then you go home and that means that you did a complete day of work uh we think of remote work as actually graduating more to a college model and so as a manager you should not be thinking of yourself as a high school teacher but more as a college professor which means you get a syllabus like you you're like okay this is what i want to accomplish for these three or four four months that we're going to be together this semester we are going to have quizzes on these dates we are going to have our you need to have a paper that's going to be 20 pages that's due then here's the four books that we're going to be reading Uh, I'm going to have class two days a week for these two hours. Um, You need to come to at least 80% attendance. But you're not going to have your professor calling you all the time and being like, Hey, are you being productive? Are you being productive right this second how productive are you uh you're not going to have that and if you did you'd be like whoa what's wrong with this professor like Mm. what happened here and so i think in a similar way like you need to set up your deliverables you need to have your syllabus you need to show what you're expecting from your employees and then also trusting them to get it done because they're adults if they can if they can pay their taxes they can mow their lawns if they can have children if they can like function in this world and you decided to hire them to work for work at your organization full time, you should be able to trust that they're going to do things and if not, that's a different conversation.
0: Mm, very good, love that. Okay, here's myth number two. Remote work leads to mental health challenges like isolation and loneliness.
1: Yeah, so um, again, I think some of this is baggage of the pandemic. When you think about work from home, you often think about working alone and working in an isolated fashion. Um, yes, I do think isolation and loneliness can be an issue. You are seeing a lot of reports of that happening right now. That being said, maybe this is me wanting like some hands off. Like I like autonomy. I don't necessarily think of my corporation needs to be my friendship maker anymore. And so, um, I also think with like isolation and loneliness, how can you get, those are real needs, but how can you get those met? outside of an organization. So maybe you have a friend that comes over to your apartment once a week and you co-work together, right? Or you could go to the library and work if you just want to be surrounded by people or a coffee shop or you check in or you join a group. I'm in a, I am in lead a Jungian dream group and so we meet on Mondays for an hour and we talk about our dreams. And so that's a part of my community. But what is happening is with remote work, you need to start making community that's local. You need to start getting more involved in you know, maybe it's a nonprofit you really like, maybe it's a religious group, maybe it's a sports group, maybe it's a PTA. But you need to be able to find that socialization right. that's really important and that community. But it should be it needs to be more outside of work and. I get the pros and cons. I worked at Google. I was like all in at Google. I was named, I got actually, I won a prize for being the Googliest, which I like get really sucked into a cult-like thing all the time. And so um, I like loved Google. I was riding around on a bicycle. Um, My boyfriend worked at Google. All my friends worked at Google. So there is something really nice about that being set up by an organization. That being said, now that I'm, I'm 39. I now don't necessarily want all of my social life to be set by my company. Like, right. I want I want more of that individuality. And so, I'm trying to make sure that I, I diversify where I get my socialization and that it doesn't all come from the person that pays me my paycheck.
0: Well, and, and I'm going to speak psychologically here. Um, the truth of the matter is there is a lot of people who go into work every day who are lonely. If you think remote work is leading to loneliness, I'm sorry. There are people who you are working with right now. If you're listening to this show and you're, you're working around a group of people in your office, I could tell you that there's people who are working there right now, even though around people are lonely. They just are. So you can't blame remote work on loneliness and and isolation. I I just think that's a, I think that's a poor excuse that people like to use. That's my opinion. Um, Because, we should have a community outside of our work anyway. So if you're relying on your work for socialization, I'm not sure that that's a healthy thing for you either. So
1: Yeah, Jay, I like it. because I also, people, I don't know, this might be one of the other myths, but people ask about burnout a lot. And they're like, oh, people are all burned out now that they do remote work. And I was like, well, you should have talked to me when I was in private equity because I was definitely burned out after an 80-hour work week. And so it's, it existed before, but I do think we're in a culture now that's more comfortable talking about mental health. Right. And because that is more culturally accepted, people are saying like, I am lonely, which they may not have admitted to 10 years ago. And it might've also been awkward to say, I feel lonely when there's a million people around you. You might feel like you're back in sixth grade and not like can't find your lunch table. Like there might be some of those feelings that come back from school and trying to fit in. Where you might notice it more as a remote worker, because it's more it's more obvious. You can't blame it on anything else.
0: I, I agree with you. I, I, there's one more myth I'm gonna deal. with. I don't want to deal with all these. I just want to deal with this one. Though I want to deal with this one too, and that is there's this myth of there's no accountability. How do you how do you counter that myth? Because I, I know people I know people who've said, you know, when we do these online meetings, there's no accountability but i don't believe that's true what's your answer to that
1: you have to create so you have to create systems and processes to have accountability so in one of our later chapters we have one that's all about kind of project management and we talk about the blueprint of how to create accountability on a team but that also comes with setting expectations and deliverables and that's how how you keep people accountable and it's it's an action that happens all the time and i would say A lot of meetings, people are not kept accountable regardless if you're in person or if you're remote. And that has been like a consistent issue of not taking notes, not documenting, not having actions, et cetera. And so I think you have to, a good team, regardless of where you're located, needs to be kept accountable to each other. And you need to come up with a method that you're doing that and making it visible to your organization. That's why we really encourage the concept of a digital house of like how are you making all that transparent because what is happening is when people say oh we can't keep people accountable it might be that they don't know what people are doing and so then you need to come up with a way of like how can you create transparency visibility documentation to know what's been done Mm -hmm. and where to check in on that and so that actually requires a little bit more foundational thinking about how are you running your team
0: Right, because there are tools available to us. There's Asana, Slack, all sorts of things that we can be using. Um, you talk, We won't be able to get into the digital storehouse, but but the truth of the matter is there are tools available to us that can help us do these things. You just need to do a little bit more work. And then, right, you said, you know what? Create the processes and the systems around that because there are ways to hold people accountable, and it's not because of remote work that they're not accountable. It's poor systems, and, and I, that's just something to leave it at that. Um all right, so we're getting towards the end here. I want to do this one last piece and it's towards the very end of the book and it's called 5 Hacks for Great Video Meetings. And um, you there's you it's been said here that it all boils down to vocals. But there's also some other things that we need to keep in mind. Like for instance, you when you first came on the show before we went on there, you asked me about my background. Backgrounds can be a little distracting or they can have problems. Can you give us a few things about what we need to be aware of when it comes to backgrounds in our meetings?
1: Yeah. So usually I have a more interesting background than now. I mentioned I'm doing a Marie Kondo, so you don't want to see the other parts of my apartment. (laughs) But usually it's actually quite festive and people will ask questions. But what I really liked about your background is I saw you had a cowboy hat on. And so I immediately made the connection that I'm originally from Texas I lived kind of near Fort Worth, which is cow town. Right. And so I could ask you about that. And so you were like, oh, I live in North Carolina, but I'm from Nebraska. And so we could talk about that. So there's something really nice about if you can make your background a point of connection so that people can find out something about you. And so that's why I love when people have cats that are kind of crawling all over them, because you can ask about their cat, like who is this cat? Right. Um, so you have a really fun background for that. And I also learned it's a real banner. It's yes. not a Zoom background, which no. is very cool. And then you told me what the other side is, which is guitars, which seems very interesting as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of kind of what happens, isn't it in remote work? All right, so five hacks. It all boils down to vocals. The first is speed. What do you mean when we're talking about speed?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that exactly. So um, a lot of these these hacks, and I, they don't have to be for every single meeting you're in, obviously. But maybe ones that are, you're, you're really trying to set the stage for something. Maybe it's a more inspirational meeting or a kickoff or, I don't know, a partner meeting or you're giving a talk. Um, but speed means you can change it up to put emphasis on different words so maybe you slow down at a very important point and then you speed up and then by by talking in different patterns it's going to make it more interesting versus something that is the same pace across the board and so by having the changing your speed you can add more interest into your your vocals and your presentation
0: What do you mean by melody and tone?
1: (laughs) Um, So melody and tone, this is great. Coach I think you're like, you're using it. Um, (laughs) So I think melody and tone uh, is, I mean, I I think a lot, again, maybe there's another musical metaphor in here, but you know how you want your tone to go with your message, right? And so if it's, if you're saying something a bit more serious or dramatic, you may want to change your tone. I tend to be um, very excitable. I use a lot of hand motions by nature. I remember that being at, like my hands are always all over the place. Um, but you may want your tone to match your message, right? And so if it's something you may want to add some gravitas to something, or you may want to get people really excited and then kind of lighten and you know heighten your tone. And then with melody, if there's ways that you can make your statements I don't know sound a little bit more like music if there's a beat to it if there's some rhythm to it it can make it more interesting
0: okay this one this one is a little unique pause
1: <laughs> i was like i didn't know actually i wasn't sure what you were going to do there and i was like um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so pause i think actually um I got to interview, I had this incredible executive coach when I was at Automatic, Akshay, and I got to turn the tables on him and interview him for my book, which was really fun because he was, I was always kind of on the hot seat with him. And so I got to put him on the hot seat. Um, But he would always talk about the value of a pause because especially in the US, like we always feel like we have to fill everything with conversation. And I noticed that a lot of um, when I was in America, I get, would get told in meetings I was too introverted, that I, I was too quiet. And then I moved to Asia, and all of a sudden, I, was, I like dominated every single conversation. <laughs> like really quickly, I became the loudest person in every group. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of cultural difference here between um, America and Singapore. But I think there can be so much value in a pause, both to think of it as kind of a, a punctuation mark, like adding a period to your statement. But also a pause for people to think. So I might be like, "What has changed for you with remote work?" And because it's different, and it will probably put a little anxiety both in the speaker's chest,
0: but also in other
1: people's chest. It will. It'll be memorable because of that. And so that's how you can use a pause to create a little bit of drama.
0: I love that. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say the other two. You don't need to do these because we're running out of time. But. Eye contact and body language is number four. And then, then the fifth one is creating interactions. But you know what you should do? You should buy the book to find out what she has to say about those two. That's what you should do. Uh, Tam, tell people how they get a hold of you.
1: Yeah. Um, well, obviously, would love for people to buy the book. It is available on Amazon everywhere. It's distributed through Penguin Random House. And our publisher is Barrett Kohler can also get it at like Target and Barnes and Nobles, all those different things. You can also buy it in bulk for a really great discount if you want your whole team to read it as kind of um, a book a book club to learn all these remote skills. You can find me on LinkedIn. I love adding new people and learning what people are about. Uh, so you can find me at Tamara Sanderson on LinkedIn. There's a picture of the book in the background, so you'll know it's me. Uh, we also have a LinkedIn page there, Remote Works, and a website, remoteworksbook.com.
0: Awesome. Tam, stay with you. Thank you so much. By the way, you've been absolutely fantastic. Um, it, really, it's I've enjoyed this. So, But stay with me here, folks. Uh, listen, you know what? Just to show. I tell you every week, you know what? There's three things that you're always in control of, regardless of your circumstances, your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. I know that things can be tough at times, but you know what? You can't control your attitude. You can't control your effort. That's your excellence. And you can control getting back up again because you're the only one who can. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest. It's going to be another great book, which means it's going to be absolutely another great show. As I say to you all over the world, you know what? You have a lot of choices. You chose us. Thank you. Give us a positive review. And as I say to you all over, ciao. Everybody. Things are going to change. You can find the strength to go a different way. Yeah. The time has come. Your dreams will take you places you have never been. your strength don't worry